everybody, how's it going? Um, before I do this uh, Han Solo review, I've just got a few thoughts um, while I'm driving myself to work that I want to talk about um, when it comes to being a Star Wars fan. Um, if you don't know me, or if you do, you might probably know that one of the things that one of the veins one of the main veins that runs through my heart is is Star Wars. Star Wars has been an inspiration. Star Wars has been a crutch. It's been an escape. It's been a love. It's been the place that I go to when I'm down, when I'm happy, when I'm emotional, when I'm grieving, when I'm excited. Star Wars is emotion to me. It's everything to me. Star Wars is the reason why I do what I do. If I don't watch Star Wars, in my history, not unlike most people, if I don't watch Star Wars at six years old, when my mother brings home the gold special edition videotapes back in 1999 for my father for their anniversary, if I don't watch those movies, I don't become the man I am today. And George Lucas and everyone else who has worked on Star Wars has made that happen for me, has made that possible. And that is who I am. Star Wars is a huge part of who I am. Star Wars is a huge part of my core beliefs, my moral standing, my understanding of the world, my spirituality is based within Star Wars. Now, being a Star Wars fan lately, in the last couple of years, as of the new age of Star Wars, uh, the Disney age of Star Wars, has been toxic and tumultuous. It has been... It has been hard to be a Star Wars fan. There was a period... It, it is hard to be a Star Wars It's like being a fan of a football team. It has its times, it has its moments, and we had its moment. We had a moment with Force Awakens. We had a moment with Rogue One. They were fantastic times, those couple of years where we got the new age of Disney. It was wonderful to be a Star Wars fan. Being a Star Wars fan was fantastic. It was so much fun. I was so proud to be a Star Wars fan back then. And then, then what we did was the world fell apart. And within it, our escapism, our creativity, our inspiration within the Star Wars universe and within Star Wars fandom got pulled into this rabbit hole of toxicity and anger and frustration and to the point where now Kelly Marie Tran has had to delete herself almost off Instagram. She's deleted all of her photos off Instagram. I didn't love her character. But I didn't go and bring racism into this. I didn't go and break this person's soul. The kid who played little Anakin in Phantom Menace had a drug addiction because the Star Wars fans pulled his soul apart. They destroyed him from the inside out all because they didn't like a performance that he made when he was a child. This is not fandom. This is not what Star Wars is about. Star Wars is there to inspire us. Star Wars is there to take us to a galaxy far, far away. It is not 
to be grounded in reality. So why do we keep grounding it in reality and destroy and just toxically being so negative about this? It's so frustrating that Star Wars has become a political thing. Look, I I am a fan of the prequels. And I know, I know that's not an easy thing to say as a Star Wars fan. There is parts of those prequels that I struggle with. I do struggle with Revenge of the Sith. I do struggle with Attack of the Clones. And I do definitely struggle with Phantom Menace. But that doesn't mean that I went out and I destroyed Ray Park. I didn't go and tell George Lucas that Jar Jar Binks aborted my my childhood. That I didn't... Just, I, this is not how this is not fandom this is not but on top of that Lucasfilm isn't making it much better either they're frustrating me too because I can't remember his name but this I'll get it up in another podcast but this this Darth Vader comic book writer guy whatever his name is has gone on Twitter and started a whole tirade with Rebel Force Radio about how he went down a shitty rabbit hole of shitty Star Wars fans I don't... What? That's... Can we have a standard? Can we have a policy? This is not Star Wars fandom anymore. It used to be awesome to be a Star Wars fan. You used to find Star Wars fans and we would all rejoice in our geekiness. And now we're fighting each other. I like The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi to me was not the Luke Skywalker I knew, but as the story goes, as a story writer, you need to understand that not unlike most comic book movies, this is an adaptation. And you're not always going to love it. And I understand that Lucasfilm has not been necessarily mature about the way they've dealt with Star Wars fandom and the way that Star Wars fans weren't happy with The Last Jedi. And unfortunately, Han Solo, and I'm going to get into this into the podcast... But Han Solo has been caught up in this cyclone. Han Solo is a fantastic movie. It is a good Han Solo Star Wars Western. It is. It is a great movie. And it's been caught up in this post-Last Jedi world where being a Star Wars fan is no longer cool. Where, Where everyone thinks they're a movie critic and everyone knows how to make a movie. I'm sorry, but you don't. You don't. So why can't we be nice to each other? I'm not taking a side here anymore. I'm sick of being labelled as a Last Jedi fan. I'm sick of people labelling each other as racist and sexist and misogynist and homophobic and all this shit. It's Star Wars. I don't care. And most Star Wars fans don't care your colour, race, face, what you identify as, what gender you identify as what sexuality you are. No one, that's not about, a Star Wars fan is a Star Wars fan. That's all that matters. And we need to stop, please, I beg of you, stop fighting each other. Stop fighting each other. It's not, and I'm really upset that I have to say something about this. I'm really quite mad that I even have to address this. Because this is something that shouldn't be existing. Star Wars is there to have fun. We're here to have fun and get away and become spacemen and women. And become space space travelers and go on the Millennium Falcon again. And fly in TIE Fighters and Star Fighters and have 
lightsaber battles well into our adult years and pass this on to the generations after us. And I don't know which generation it is that's doing this. And I know that a lot of have a lot of people have genuine qualms with the Last Jedi, and I had, I respect that. I've struggled to dislike this movie. I've struggled to not like any Star Wars movie. But this is not how we should be as fans projecting ourselves. We need to be respectful of others' opinions. And if you don't agree with someone's opinion, please, please, don't. There's no need to get mad about it. There's no need to tell someone that they're wrong or they're right. Because no opinion is wrong or right. We're all Star Wars fans. We all love Star Wars for what it what it is, what it became. I think we all forget that a lot of people weren't fans of Return of the Jedi. And now and and, and Empire in its early, I wasn't around then, but I hear that Empire divided fans. And now it's not divisive at all. Everyone agrees that Empire is probably the best Star Wars movie of all time. Let alone one of the best movies of all time. So guys, please, from Star Wars fan to Star Wars fan, let's stay cool, agree with others' opinions, stay weird. That's what we all say. But I don't want to have to address this shit again. Now, that's all I have to say on May the Force be with you. Always. everybody how are we that is the snappity snap get the sound and the audio and the videos and all that sorted out welcome welcome to my humble abode please crack a beer have a beer with me it is currently 8 30 at night and i have been aching to do my han solo review as you can see i've got my little millennium falcon here <coughs> Excuse me. I've got my Chewbacca Chewies with me. I've got my Han Solo vest on and my Empire Strikes Back t-shirt. I know I'm not talking Empire Strikes Back, but it's my favorite movie of all time. So fuck it. I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt. And I've got my giant, gigantic, humongous Millennium Falcon here with the man Han Solo. Oh, oops, I broke it in the cockpit. This is one of my prized possessions. Anyways, we'll put that back down there. And let's get to it, guys. So, I saw Han Solo for the second time. So, I've only seen it twice now because I haven't had a chance to see it for a third time. But I saw Han Solo the other day um, for the second time and I made a buttload of fucking notes. So, bear with me. This is going to take a while. But... I'm going to try and get through this as quick as possible. So, let's get started. I want to talk about how... I want to begin by talking about how I loved Alden Ehrenreich 
so much in this movie um, because I haven't actually read anyone else's review on this movie because I loved it so much anyway and I'm a giant Star Wars fan anyway. So I figured there's no point in watching anyone else's review because it's just going to take my thought process on it and it's going to taint how I felt about the movie. So I want to begin by saying that Alden Ehrenreich did not play Harrison Ford and that was the best part of this entire movie. Alden Ehrenreich is not Harrison Ford. I did not want him to play Harrison Ford for he was not playing Harrison Ford. He was actually playing Han Solo. Oh my God, really? How did we not know that? Anyway, he was playing Han Solo and that, and there was not one point in this movie where I did not feel like Alden Ehrenreich was and I did not feel like I was watching Han Solo. There was not one point in this movie where I didn't feel I didn't get lost. I got so lost in his performance, especially particularly because there was a lot of talk of how he had to get coaching and all this kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't feel like we had missed anything with the recasting <clears throat> of Han Solo. Now it was a much younger Han Solo as well, but I will get to that later. And the next thing I want to talk about is that this movie being a Star Wars movie, I wasn't a huge fan of Rogue One. I liked it. I've rewatched it. I haven't rewatched it that many times, but obviously there's that big Darth Vader. Spoilers. There's that big Darth Vader thing. Oh, and by the way, if you've gotten this far in and you haven't realized that this is a spoiler-filled review and you haven't seen Han Solo yet, it's been out for almost two weeks now, get your shit together, go and see it, and then come back and watch this review. Anyway, let's move on. Um, yeah, so the next thing I want to say is that this felt like a Star Wars movie because there was a lot of lot about family. A lot of it was Han Solo trying to find his family and where he belonged because his family disappeared. He was an orphan. There was still a bit of mystery about his history. Mystery about his history. Anyway, um, so that was really good. That was really interesting to me. I really quite enjoyed that. Um, and also, it felt like a Star Wars movie because there was love. There's always got to be love and his relationship with Kira. Um, on to the next point. Chewie. What's this? Ah, oh, of course. One of the most important parts of the Han Solo story is people think that Chewie and Han Solo are a duo. No. I personally believe that Chewie, Han Solo, let's just use me as Han Solo for this. As you can see, i got my Falcon necklace on that I never take off. And... The Falcon, the Millennium Falcon, all these three are a trio. And you cannot have a Han Solo origin story without telling us where his relationship with Chewbacca, his relationship with the Falcon, begins. And that was what we got. Um, leading on to my next point, the Falcon's origin story was there, which is very important. But not the Falcon, but... I was really a bit like, whoa, what the hell, what's going on with the White Falcon? But I suppose I looked at it and like everyone and went, oh, we're going to see how it became disheveled and it eventually became that way. The Kessel Run is what turns it into this. That's the best part about it. This is because of the Kessel Run. The little capsule pops out of here and it's amazing. It's That Kessel Run scene is incredible. And the way they explain the Kessel Run 
is even better. Um, the movie, let's get to the start of the movie. The movie starts with the first ever car chase in Star Wars. And I know it wasn't a car, but it was still a hover car. And that was a cool part as well. The hover car chase was the first ever car chase we've seen in Star Wars. Like we've seen a lot of um, hover, tr- hover cars and all that kind of thing. But this was the first ever car chase. And that was so much fun. Action straight off the bat. I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, the opening title. A lot of people didn't really like the opening title with the hologram. and the. I thought it was badass. I know. And also, let's talk about the opening title of which Ron Howard has taken the galaxy far, far away and done a whole subtitle bit at the start there. And that was really cool. That was really interesting. Kind of disseminated it from everything else. Very interesting take. I didn't hate it. I quite liked it, actually. Um, Let's talk about... Oh, they talk about portions. There's some kids that talk about portions, just like in Force Awakens. So this this movie, out of anything, really ties together the three universes. It ties together the prequel universe. It ties together the sequel universe. The prequel universe was something we'll talk about later. You probably already know what I'm talking about if you've watched the movie, but we'll get to that later. The prequel universe, the sequel universe, with, the, with bits and pieces from the sequel universe and things that already existed, that... I supposedly already existed in the original trilogy period, um, and the original, the OT, the original trilogy. Anyway, let's move on. Um, I love the new stormtroopers. As an artist, I loved, loved, loved the new stormtroopers. That was fantastic. That was awesome. That was great. I really loved it. Um, we also got the open with Solo with Lady Proxima trying to explain his way out like Han Solo does. And that's why I loved Alden Ehrenreich because they took... I know this was a Lawrence Kasdan written script and he wrote it with his son and that's fantastic. But obviously, Lawrence Kasdan knows Han Solo quite well because Han Solo, I think personally, is written best in The Empire Strikes Back. That's the best... That's one of my favorite versions of Han Solo. And this, this honestly, has been my favorite standalone. I know we've only got two, but it has been my favorite standalone. I prefer this over Rogue One. That's my personal opinion. You don't, you don't have to agree with me. That's not what we're here for. But I really loved, um, I really loved this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. It is fun from start to finish. It's just, it's just a shame that the Last Jedi kind of ruined it, ruined the idea of it for everybody. Um, the next thing, the origin of the die. This is really interesting. I never really noticed, like like everyone, never really noticed those die um, until the Last Jedi. But apparently, they have been in there for a while. Apparently, they were silver. Apparently, they were then they went to gold. Apparently, they used to have normal dice numbers, one to six, on them, um, and they went to gold. I didn't know this. This is pretty cool. But I went and bought myself two sets because I'm going to do a custom version um, of them and then I'm just going to put some in my car. I'm going to put some in my house and I'm going to put some in my car just because I'm a huge fucking Star Wars fan and as you can see I have a Millennium Falcon around my neck so my car has got to be filled. My car is called the Stormtrooper. It's got to be filled with Star Wars stuff and how more Star Wars can it get than a Millennium Falcon die and a Han Solo die. Now, the interesting thing about this is that it was in a deleted scene, I'm fairly sure, in The Force Awakens when Kylo Ren actually goes into the Millennium Falcon on the Starkiller base. 
and he touches the die, which is really interesting. I, I'm pretty sure he does. You can probably check that. I haven't checked that, but I'm pretty sure I remember seeing him touch the die. But it really came out in The Last Jedi when Luke walks into the Falcon, touches the die. Um, he has that moment in the Falcon with R2-D2. Then he takes the die, and you don't even realize he takes the die, um, and he gives them to Leia. But Leia drops them, and leaves them, and I still can't remember, because I haven't re-watched Last Jedi recently, but I still can't remember. She drops them, and then Kylo Ren goes to pick. So there's this whole connection with the, these die that basically, the die and the Falcon and Chewie are all a direct connection to Han Solo, and everyone's got this direct connection to Han Solo. And I love these, I love that they added the die into the Han Solo movie, and they gave it an origin, and that it's been through everything with Han. These die have been through everything, just like Chewie, they were given to Kira at the start of the movie. Kira gives them back to him and they go everywhere. And then the beautiful part about it is the loop is closed with Leia getting them at the end. At the end of The Last Jedi. And that is fantastic. I love these. These die are just so cool. They're such a great symbolism. Um, anyway, on to the next thing. I love how he failed to get through the alleyway. That was great. Because that's the first time we've ever seen Han Solo just do shit you know, he does stuff without thinking about it and he just does it. And, he, you know, like he says in The Force Awakens, I never asked that question until after I've done it. So he does this and this is the first time we've ever seen him actually fail when he takes a risk. So maybe that means all the other times he's taken risks, it's a calculated risk. And you do see later in the Kessel Run that he takes a risk and it kind of fails, but it's kind of the reason why the Falcon gets all fucked up. Anyway, um... I spoke about the die really has some power. Let's have a look and see. I'm so glad that he joins the Empire. If you know anything about the EU, you know that Chewie and Han meet when Han is part of the Empire. And he was a rebel pilot. Sorry, he was an Imperial pilot for a period of time when he was younger. And I'm glad that this was in the movie as well. He joins the Empire and, it's, and, he, and he meets Chewie in what looks like a, rag, a Rancor pit. But he's actually Chewie in, um, what's it called? In the pit himself and he saves him from imprisonment, just like in the EU. That's how they met and I love that they paid homage to that. And it's now canon. So that means that it's, it is canon and it's important and it is a thing. And it means they didn't take away from the EU stories that already existed. Um... I found some people really liked it, some people didn't. I feel like, um, if... Was it Lord and Miller? Yeah, Lord and Miller, who are the original directors. I feel like that bit where he goes to the Imperial pilot and they say, uh, the guy's like, what's your last name? Who's your people? And he says, I don't have a last name. I don't have a people. He goes, oh, Han Solo. Han Solo. I feel like there would have been a bit where Miller and Lord would have just gone on with that joke and the joke would have gone, Han alone. Han by himself. Han lost. Like there would have been a bit where, it would have just been a bit. Um, I thought it was a bit weird at first. Then the second time I saw it, I was like, no, that's George Lucas humor. That's Star Wars humor. That's not Disney humor. That's Star. That's real Star Wars humor. So I really liked that because there was a lot of people that didn't really like the humor in Last Jedi. I liked it. The throwing. Anyway, let's not get into Last Jedi. I've, I've done my review of that. I'll put that up as an archive one day, but let's move on. We're talking Han Solo. So the trenches scene is fantastic. It feels like Pearl Harbor, but it's got a bit of a sense of humor to it because that's where you meet Tobias Beckett and his team, Rio and Val. That's awesome. That's really fun. I forgot. I didn't realize. When I first was watching the movie, I was like, yo, he's an Imperial. But then they start laughing and it took me a bit of time. Um, 
Tobias is a badass. I love that they put... I was so excited that they put Woody Harrelson in. I love Woody Harrelson. Um, and the fact that he was a badass is that scene where he's shooting motherfuckers in the trench. Like, pew, pew, pew. Just flipping his guns and all that kind of thing. And Han says, teach me how to do that. And he just laughs at him. Um, I, I did like, and I never realized this, but I probably should have, that there were only human stormtroopers. Only humans are allowed to be stormtroopers, which is like very imperialist. It's very elitist. It's very much the imperial alliance and the imperial, the imperial something the imperials would do, something the emperor would do. It's very Naziist. It's very it's very interesting. Um, I never, but this was one of those movies that really showed that because you never really see stormtroopers take their helmets off until this muddy trench scene. Um, I didn't realize that the marks on it. Just a quick. I didn't realize that the marks on an Imperial shirt, I always saw them, I didn't realize it was a ranking thing. That's really cool as well. Um, I would have given, I personally, if I was writing this movie, I probably would have given Han an Imperial, a Stormtrooper suit rather than a muddy Stormtrooper suit. And I can kind of see, just for homage to A New Hope, I think if he was in a white Stormtrooper suit in the mud, that would have been much cooler because it would have been a huge Omar. It wouldn't have been the first time he was in a Stormtrooper suit like that once you get to A New Hope. Um, Chewie in the Pit. We spoke about Chewie in the Pit. I thought that was great when Han speaks. And that's there. And they use, and this moves me on to the next thing, Han speaks Wookiee and it makes sense for him as they need a secret code. And that's how they get out. And that's how he says, you stupid Wookiee or whatever he says, I'm probably paraphrasing, you stupid Wookiee, get, uh, hit the, listen to me, I'm trying to get us out of here, hit the pole, and he breaks the pole, and he throws Hunter in. It's great, but it's really cool that they get into a fight first, and that's cool, because you never, and I never realized this, you never, ever see Han and Chewie fight. They argue, but you never see them physically fight, and that was cool to see, and I loved that it was like a callback to the Rancor, but it wasn't, because you thought it was a Rancor, and then it was Chewie, and you just didn't see it coming. And you forget that whole time that Chewie's not there. And we'll talk about Chewie because Chewie, this felt like Chewie's movie. Although it was Han Solo's movie, this really felt like Chewie's movie. Especially, and it made you feel Last Jedi, like Chewie wasn't really in Last Jedi. Chewie was in Force Awakens a lot. But the problem is that you forget that without Han Solo, Chewie, it's hard to do Chewie because there's no, no one for him to bounce off of. No one for him to like... The one moment he gets is when Luke goes, Chewie, what are you doing here in The Last Jedi? Anyway, um, they speak their secret. There was no talk of the life debt, though. If you know about the life debt, the life debt is what binds Chewie and Han together. And maybe if they do some sort of sequel um, or some sort of other standalone where Han and Chewie are in it, that's the life debt. I thought maybe later in the movie the life debt would come on, but it didn't. Um, John Favreau's character is awesome. Rio is so cool. I was so upset that they killed Rio later on in the train scene, but I kind of understand why they needed to. Same for Val. Um, I, I quite, I understand, I get it. I get why they had to kill them, but I loved Rio. I want to see more of Rio, and it's really cool that John Favreau is not only doing a Netflix TV show, but he's actually in a Star Wars movie as well. And he's um, anyway. Chewie, there's that there's that great scene, and I forgot I forgot about this until the second time I watched it. There's that great scene where they get onto Tobias Beckett's ship with his crew, and they're in the shower, and Chewie just joins Han in the shower. I thought that was hilarious. Um, Chewie, there's 
it seems like Chewie is always in front of a dramatic fan in this movie. You've, I've never seen his fur so dramatic and flaily. Like it was just like everywhere he went, it was just flailing everywhere, which was really cool. For me, it was really cool. Um, and it was kind of a different way to see Chewie and it gave Chewie this real like hero kind of feel to him. And it was, it's fun. Like when I drew my Han Solo poster, I drew his fur kind of, and it's fun to draw it like that. And I suppose it's not unlike when they put long hair in comic books or capes to show the wind. It was very similar. Um, uh, Chewie doesn't make sense without Han. Yeah, I spoke about that. Tobias Beckett. Tobias Beckett as a character was really interesting. Um, later on in the movie, it, he was just a mentor. He was a, hold on a second, I'm going to have some soup. He was a mentor for, um, for Han because obviously Han hadn't seen very much of the galaxy at this point. So, um, and when Val died, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the emphasis on it, but it was still cool. It was still like, I could kind of understand because they're kind of gangsters and I get why they had to kill that team because you can't get Kira and Chewie and Han and the, the Falcon and Lando into the team later on in the movie. Um, Emphis Nest was really cool. I really liked Emphis Nest. I like her as a kind of new Boba Fett-ish character. However, by the end of it, she was a bit of a letdown. And I'll get into the third act of this movie and how it let me down a little bit. Like, it let me down a bit. Um, I love that this scene is where you see, just before they do the train heist, you see the origins of the DL-44. That was cool. Han's gun. Again, another thing that you don't expect to see the origins of, and you still get it. The DL-44, like, who who knew where he got that gun? Who cared where he got that gun? It was just Han's gun. Just known as Han's gun. I didn't even think we'd get that, like, the Falcon's origins or anything like that. Um... You even get the origins of Chewie's belt. Chewie was never wearing a belt until he gets that. It's not the same belt, but it's a very similar belt. And I quite like this new kind of crossover belt. Anyway, uh, um, the train sequence. Now, after you get the car chase, you get the train sequence. And there's about four massive action scenes in this movie. And this train sequence is one of the best action scenes that's ever been in a Star Wars movie. It's incredible. It is so much fun. You're on the edge. You're just following it the whole way. Um... And like, and here's the next part. I know you had to kill off the team to make room for a new one, but it seemed like we could have spent a bit more time with them. Now, this movie's long, and I understand they need to fit a lot into it. Um, the coaxium, and by the end of this train heist, the coaxium explosion is fucking cool. Like, it reminded me of that explosion in Attack of the Clones, one of the coolest parts when Django Fett shoots from Slave 1, those, those things that like blow up and it's silent and then they just go, Goo. it kind of reminded me of that shit. Um, I love, I love that in this movie, this is actually the first time that Chewie has someone translate for him and Han translates for Chewie, which is really cool. Um, because every other movie that anyone's spoken to Chewie, I know the Force users can speak to Chewie and they understand him because that's a language, like it's a, a connection thing so they can understand all languages. That's how Luke and Ray and Leia understand R2-D2 and he can understand R2-D2 how Luke can understand Chewie and Obi-Wan can understand Chewie. Like that's how it happens. But um, 
the cool thing about this movie is that in every other movie, people have just responded to Chewie. This is the first time that anyone's actually translated for Chewie. And anyone's actually said, you know, what did he say? And Han goes, this is what Chewie was saying. Rah, 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 which is cool, which I really liked. Um, then we get on to the yacht of Dryden Voss. That yacht, I didn't even realize they called it a yacht. That was really cool. I really enjoyed that yacht. Um, it's beautiful, just beautiful. A weird kind of world with the weird robot lady with the singing and the slug, floaty slug thing. Um, now, with Dryden Voss, Paul Bettany is great. What I didn't realize was Omar from The Wire, from The, sh- from the Wire, was going to play that. And when they reshot it with, um, what's his name, with Ron Howard, he had scheduling issues and couldn't come back and do reshoots. So they recast with Paul Bettany. And you can tell this though. If you don't know this, you can't tell it, but you can tell this when you know. It's like Superman's mustache in Justice League. Um, you, you can tell this because there is... The only time that Paul Bettany appears is in the same room, in the same chambers of Dryden Voss in the yacht throughout the whole movie. The only time. And it's obvious. Not that it's not important to the movie. It's just you can tell. Um, I love that Chewie smashes the glasses of wine. He's a booze hound. That's great. Um, I thought Kira... Kira. Kira is quite compelling. I think the... Obviously, she had to either be killed off or be moved on from Han's life for Han to get to Leia. But she seems to be the reason why he likes short British brown-haired girls, brunette girls. Um, Beautiful brunette girls, by the way. Amelia Clark is... Um, But she's great in this movie. She's a great character. She's so compelling. And I actually loved her. I felt sorry for her uh, by the end of the film. She was a really... Oh, sorry. That's my... She was a really compelling character. Um, Like I said, Dryden Voss is a bit shoehorned. The, the very important... I love the reasoning to get to the Kessel Run. There's a reason why they get to the Kessel Run. And we all knew we would get to the Kessel Run eventually. But I like that there is a good reasoning for it. Um, which is to go and get the Coaxium. Um, and the Pikes. And then and they have, there's a reference to the Pikes from the Clone Wars. Like, the, this movie connects all... Sorry, I said that it connected the prequel, the sequel, and the OT together. But it also connects the Clone Wars to it. As well, it connects all these universes, and this is like a thread that runs through it all. Um, Lando's introduction is fantastic. Donald Glover sits there and does the well, I did, and he does the voice at first. And when you first see it, you're like, "Holy shit, is that Billy D?" And it's not. It's 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 Donald Glover, and he's fantastic. And that scene where he's, you know, hitting on Kira, and he's afraid of do like. He's particularly cowardly in this one. Billy Dee's Lando, I think, was a little more experienced and a little less cowardly, but this is particularly cowardly Lando. But he's worldly, which is good. And he doesn't get along with Han. They never got along. That's the thing. Um, yeah, Donald Glover was a perfect fit. The game of Sabacc, where he won the Millennium Falcon, but he actually didn't. That was interesting, because I, I, I remember thinking... I want to see the Castle Run. I want to see Chewie and Hans. When I went to this movie, I was only going to be unimpressed if I didn't see the Castle Run. I didn't see the card game. 
All these little bits and pieces of, of history. I didn't see the card game where he won the Falcon off Lando. And if I didn't see um, Chewie and Han's relationship beginning. I got all three of those and more. And I got the DL4, we got the DL44, we got all the coax, and we got Kira. We got, there's so much more in this movie than I expected to get, which was fucking awesome. Um, he says something about an island. I thought that was Cloud City, but I think I'm wrong. I think that was the island he ends up at, at the end of the movie. He won an island in a game of Sabacc. Um, Lando doesn't have an affinity for the Millennium Falcon like Han, which is great. He doesn't have a relationship. It's just a possession to him. But he's he's a swindler. He's a too good swindler. You know, no good double-crossing swindler like he says in in Empire. And he, um, you know, he he gets he gets Beckett to get the the lock off the his the Falcon is impounded and he you know gets it out. He calls him Han. Oh my god, he calls him Han. That's the bet. That was the best. He goes, "How you doing?" He goes, "I'm Han Solo." He goes, "How you doing, Han?" And I know that was Billy D. That was something Billy D. Injected into. It's like Alden started to notice that there was some pointing bits and stuff that Alden did that you didn't realize that Harrison did until you see Alden do it, and he really picked up on it. Same with, um, same with Lando and, and Donald Glover. He really studied Lando Calrissian, and he says Han and. Hey, how you doing, man? Like, um, I want to see more of just Lando, the Falcon, and Chewie. I would happily see a Lando Calrissian movie. Would happily see a, I would happily see a Chewbacca movie. Like, if you can show me how Chewbacca gets to the Imperials, I would watch the shit out of that movie. How he gets trapped by the Imperials, or how he goes from Revenge of the Sith to getting trapped by the Imperials. I want to see that, something that happened there. I want to see how he was affected by the Clone Wars ending and how he was affected by the Empire and so on and so forth. Um, I know that they were trapped by, I know that by the end of Revenge of the Sith, they take, the Kashikians are taken and the Wookiees are taken by the Empire because the clone troopers are already on Kashyyyk, so they just take over. Um, I love that they say Tobias killed Aura Singh, Aura Singh being one of the most EU characters in EU, um, if you don't know Aura Singh, she's a bounty hunter. She's one of the biggest bounty hunters. She's appeared in Clone Wars. She's been around since before the prequels and he killed her, which is fucking fantastic, which is hilarious. And again, another connection to the Clone Wars in the EU. L3, I love L3 because she was she was hilarious to me because she was a pink-haired feminist. She was the pink-haired feminist of Star Wars and she was pushing equality and she was an alt left and rah 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 and she did the droid revolution and she was fighting the droid battles the droid the droid um cockfights it was it was fucking hilarious um and she says she says don't we, you don't even they don't even serve our kind here which is a great callback to a new hope um I love that the Falcon music returns now I can't remember exactly how the Falcon music goes but while I'm sitting here I'm gonna actually look it up because I don't think a lot of people realize that the Falcon actually has um, a theme song. The Millennium Falcon has a theme song and you'd know it once you hear it. You just don't realize that that's the Falcon music. And let me get it up here for you. Uh, is this it? See? That.
so that 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 plays in a slower version if you actually go back and rewatch the movie that plays in a slower version um, when the movie when you first see the falcon and when you first see the falcon when lando takes him to the falcon but it also plays in the kessel run it also plays in a, the Force Awakens. You don't. I don't think a lot of you realize when they're running up to when Ray and Finn are running up to that ship and they go, "Oh no, that's a piece of shit." It goes, and they when you first see the Falcon in that first moment where you're like, "Oh my God, it's a Falcon! It's the piece of junk that we all love." Um, that plays. And so they that plays throughout the movie, which is fantastic. Um, I I like that Han's dad probably built the Falcon. That made me tear up a little bit. That means that the Falcon, the Carillion ships, he built the ships. That adds so much to the lore because the Falcon means so much to all of us Star Wars fans and he knows his dad built, he knows his dad probably built the Falcon, which is just beautiful. He's, he said his dad used to be, and that's why, and it's a Carillion ship and he's Carillion. Which is even better. I didn't realize he was. I didn't realize he was Carillion. I knew that his ship was, but I didn't know that Harmon was Carillion, which is great. And that adds so much more to the lore. Talking about L three, L three is very sexual. It's kind of weird how sexual. I know that Lando is pansexual, and it's a whole different story. I don't know why Lando needs to be pansexual, but I, I, I suppose he is. The dro- the thing about sleeping with a droid, and then when L three eventually dies later, he actually you're you're kind of like. Wait, what? He actually has feelings? Actually has feelings for this droid? That's fucking weird. Um, but yeah, she's very sexual when she's sitting there with Kira and she's like, yeah, I don't know how that would work. She goes, oh, trust me, it would work. Um, so yeah, that's kind of kind of weird. Sorry, my leg's going um, dead. I love that Chewie loses his first game of hollow chess to Tobias Beckett. That's great how Chewie's playing hollow chess on the Falcon with Tobias Beckett and Beckett teaches him how to play and that's how he ends up being able to beat C-3PO oh sorry R2-D2 by the time they get to and and there's more characters on there I'm not sure what the designer's name was but I do remember hearing that he had had more characters designed and they've put those extra characters into Han Solo Um, and it reminds me of the Force Awakens Easter eggs like there's I'm going to do a whole episode on the Easter eggs of Solo later on We'll go back. I'm going to go through and have a read of all the Easter eggs that I miss or anything that I did see, and we'll go through it and do like a half hour episode later. But right now, I won't go through them all. Um, I love that Kira wears when she first goes into that cape room, and I love that Lando has a cape room, but she's wearing the Empire Strikes Back cape that Lando wore, the blue one in Empire. So it's there, and she wears it, and it's the one she's putting on. And then they do the whole kissing scene, and rah rah rah. That's that's really good. Um. I I remember thinking that's and I said to my girlfriend the first time I saw it we were watching it I said um, that's not the last girl he kisses on that ship Um, Tobias Beckett then gives you in that moment the ending so it's a bit like you kind of see him I didn't I didn't see it coming because I'm obviously not as good a writer as I thought I was but you should see it coming by the second viewing that he says, you've got to assume everyone will betray you. I just go and see these Star Wars movies and I get so wrapped up in it, I miss all these bits and pieces. So I'm shocked when everything happens in the movie. Um, I love that when they get to Kessel, um, Tobias 
Beckett wears Lando's Jedi disguise. And it was another moment where I looked to my friend, my best mate, Ben, and I said, that looks like a familiar disguise. And he too was like, yeah, that's from, that's uh, from Jedi, isn't it? And I was like, yep. Um, Chewie actually pulls the arm off someone in this scene, which is the arms off someone in this scene. And Han goes, that's just great. Isn't that fantastic? Like, that's another thing I never thought I'd see in a Star Wars movie. You know, Chewie actually, like they talk about it in New Hope, but he actually rips the arms off a man. And Han goes, oh, you're, um, you know, you're the guy. That's, that would have, great. That's, that's great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. That would have been a costume that would fit me perfectly. Thanks heaps. Um, then she says, uh, she, she takes out the dude in the room, the, the mining colony leader guy, um, Kira does and says, and L3 goes, oh, I've never seen that. What is that? And she goes, it's Terrace Cassie, which is, which is known to EU fans as a martial art that exists within the Star Wars universe. And there were, I think there was a book or a game or something when we were young, when back in the nineties about it. So it's quite deep cuts that. Um, I think uh, I'll go. I said this before. I think Chewie owes him a life debt for something else. I thought it might have been because there's the scene where Chewie um, sees all the Wookies and the funny Planet of the Apes looking Wookies, which I later thought about. And I heard someone say on um, I think it was on Rebel Force Radio. They said that it's because it's probably because they're disheveled and they're pr- imprisoned Wookies. So that's why they're a little bit like you. Like look like apes rather than Chewie. And also there's a whole lot going on. So you've got to remember visually, you need to be able to disseminate between Chewie and all the other Wookiees. So it was very, very easy to disseminate once they looked like apes rather than look like Chewie. Um, I love that Rando was, Lando was recording for his hollow YouTube account. That was great. And he was recording his journals and he was recording for his YouTube account. That was hilarious. Or he was recording a podcast, I suppose. Like, he's recording something. It was very self, self-indulgent. Um, we spoke about the ape-looking Wookiees. I love... Oh, my God. One of my favorite things. Not unlike seeing... Like, there's just moments in his, in his new movies. And not unlike seeing Ray pull out her lightsaber and back up against Kylo Ren and start taking out those Praetorian guards in that slow-mo shot. Because I remember that was one of those things in the movie in the first viewing of Last Jedi at my midnight screening where I went, holy fucking shit, look at that. And it's going slow-mo. Again, I think one of the moments in this movie that really got me was Lando and Han standing at the ramp and the entrance to the Millennium Falcon and just shooting shit, just shooting stormtroopers and people down. And and Alden's got the gun like Lan- like Han with his hand out, one hand out shooting. And Lando and Donald, they both they both got the stances perfectly. They both got the performance perfectly. And Lando's standing there doing his shooting as well, like in Return of the Jedi. Like it's just fantastic. That was just one of the moments I really didn't know I wanted to see, and I fucking loved it. It was fucking fantastic. Um, I spoke about Lando's love for L3 before that was very interesting it was kind of it was very earnest it was very like it really struck him at the core it was very interesting how much it struck him Um, I was a tad disappointed because there was the scene where you saw Chewie kind of put his hand his head on the other Wookiee's head and I thought and a lot of us thought that it was Chewie's wife 
Because we all know that Chewie has a family. Well, most of us know that Chewie has, has a family. If you don't know now, Chewie actually does have a family. He has, a, he has a wife and children and they were taken by the Empire and he hasn't seen them in a while. That's why he says, I'm looking for my family. Not unlike Han. And that's how that how this whole thing comes, comes around. Um, but L3's death, again, not unimportant like Val and Rio's. It is a plot point, And this is just Lawrence Kasdan's writing. It is a plot point for Chewie and Han driving the Falcon. It allows Chewie and Han to drive the Falcon because we, they need to do the Kessel Run. Because I was worried that Lando was going to do the Kessel Run, but it was actually Han that did the Kessel Run and Chewie, which is fantastic. Um, I'm so glad that, cha- that at least once the Falcon gets chased by TIE Fighters in this moment where they see the do- giant destroyer headed for the for the mining colony in Kessel and the TIE fighters come out. And he says, you know, that they would never send TIE and then, and there's like the double TIE fighter, the new double TIE fighter and like, that's really cool. Um, but the cool thing about this scene as well in the Kessel run is that L3 is what C-3PO was talking about in Empire. When he says, the ship is alive. There's something inside the ship. And it's L3. L3 is the fact. So, I didn't really like L3, and now L3 is one of my favorite characters in Star Wars, and that's the Millennium Falcon. Like, she's, she's the fucking Falcon. Like, what? So it's, she, like, the Falcon not only was a character, but now this movie has made it even more of a character, a living character, a droid that was put into the ship, and now it has the greatest database map system in the world, which is fantastic. Um, I love that he says, I have a good feeling about this and yet another great throwback. And I know that was in the trailers, but still, it's still just as good when you see it in the movie. Um, Beckett in the canon while the chase music is playing. And he's shooting out the TIE fighters again. Like I said, that was fucking awesome as well. Again, another thing I didn't think I'd see, but I needed to see. Not unlike Force Awakens where Finn's in the gun, but he doesn't really know what he's doing, but he's still... Dun, dun. Like that's still, that's just the Falcon. You have, if you're going to have a scene with the Falcon, you have to do the guns. You have to use the cannons, especially when it's getting chased by TIE fighters. Um, that, but that moment when Chewie gets into the co-pilot chair, oh my God, it just melts me. It just melts, ah, uh, just melts your heart, man. That's just pure OT nostalgia. Just blah. <laughs> um, I love the Cthulhu giant wrath slash giant wrath tar thing. And then when it gets its skin ripped off in the gravity well, that's great. Um, the Falcon's escape pod even being removed to get the Cthulhu wrath tar thing. I don't know what it's called. Out of the way into the gravity well, that's great. And then you get to the lack of escape pod in here. I need to get myself one of the small newer ones as well because I love the I love Star Wars and I love the Falcon. And then I can add it to my collection of Falcons. I even have little Falcons and shit as well. Um, and I got the necklace, as I said before. Um, the coaxium injection, that's awesome because that changes the ship into the fastest ship in the galaxy. That is so cool. Now, I can't remember exactly how the Kessel Run because I got so excited in that moment both times. I got to research the Kessel Run and I'll talk about it later. But there was some, apparently there was something really interesting about the Kessel Run. Apparently it wasn't a measure of time. It was a measure of space. And the parsecs are a measure of space or some shit like that. I don't know. But it, it actually ended the argument, the, the, the geek argument and the Star Wars fan argument forever. <laughs> they guess they'll run argument forever. So, but anyway, um, the gravity well brings it to the ship. 
we know and love. Oh, that's right. The gravity well just destroys it and rips it apart. Rah, 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 rah. Um, and that's, I didn't expect, I thought it was going to be more of a, um, over time ripping apart, but that's still cool. That's still really cool. Um, he also, I love how he also rounded down the 12 parsecs too. He's, he goes, not if you round it down. Um, the Kessel debate squashed after 40 years. And then there's the scene where Lando looks at the Falcon and obviously Lando likes pretty things. And he goes, I hate you. And I didn't realize that because I laughed at it and, Ben said to me, he's like, oh, fuck, I knew, knew he'd say that. I didn't hear him say the first time until the second time that he says, I know. Come back to her empire. Um, Amelia Clark would play an awesome Leia. It would have been kind of cool if she was Leia. I, I just had that thought during the movie, so I just wrote it down. Um, they really drive home the good guy thing. He really doesn't want to be a good guy for some reason. He just wants to be a scoundrel and an outlaw, and they really drive this good guy thing home. And even by the end of the movie, he's still like, Luke Skywalker rather than Han Solo so it kind of it kind of makes me think there's going to be whether it's in the Boba Fett movie or whether it's going to be in other Han Solo movies unfortunately it's not doing very well in the box office but I would still love to see more Han Solo movies I loved Alden Era I want to see Alden um, back with Chewie again and I want to see more Donald Glover so um, and I think it's a lot it's not to do with the movie itself I think it's actually to do with it's it's probably the fault of Last Jedi and I think there's not a lot of people actually going to see Han Solo I think that's, it's not that it's a bad movie. It's, it's, it's no, a lot of Star Wars fans, a lot of fans just not going to see the movie. Especially with Deadpool and all that kind of thing coming out recently, Avengers. Um, I think maybe they should have left it until the end of the year. Um, I love when Lando leaves and just gets in the Falcon and leaves when they're on that Emphis Nest planet and Emphis Nest is there. And... You know, he's bluffing and he's like, we got 30. And he does a clap. Again, that's one of those Han Solo moments that made me go, no, that's, we're watching Han. This, the Olden did a really good job. And he goes, there's 30. There's 30 people waiting in that ship. And all I have to do is give him the signal and they'll come running. And then the Falcon just flies off and Lando pisses off to wherever he goes to that, I suppose, that planet. Um, I wonder, and it made me wonder... Is Emphis Nest the spark of rebellion or is Leia? That's a debate to have later, but I, it's just a thought I wrote down because is Emphis Nest the start of the rebellion or did the rebellion start because of Leia? That's what I want to know. Or did Leia join? I don't know. I don't know the information on the history of the rebellion, but I know, I know I'm fairly sure that Emphis Nest isn't the rebellion leader or isn't the one who began the rebellion. It kind of seems a bit weird that a you know, 15-year-old girl, I suppose, 15-year-old Irish girl, she looked red hair. Anyway, whatever. Um, I think it's really cool that Warwick Davies gets his first lines ever in this movie, rather than yum num I mean, I suppose that's a line, but he gets his line and, and can now tell Anthony Daniels to fuck himself because he has been in every single Star Wars movie as a character whether you know his face or not, which is awesome. Um, I love that Saw Gerrera's guy from Rogue One, the, the really cool dude with the, like, I don't know what his name is, like the mask thing, and he's got the pipes, and he's got the really cool alien head. He's part of Emphis Ness's crew, and then obviously ends up with Saw Gerrera. So Emphis Ness must be the rebellion, must be the spark of Saw Gerrera's type of rebellion, not the other rebellion. Because this movie is obviously timeline just before, is quite some time before Rogue One. Um... I spoke about Warwick Davies. 
this and I spoke about the first movie without R two D two. They talk about the big shot. Uh, Tobias Net um, Beckett leaves just before they go to see um, Dryden Voss, and he talks about Tatooine. He talks about big shot gangster set up for Net. I'm uh, sorry. He talks about the big shot gangster, and that's probably a setup for the next movie. I was kind of, I kind of thought we'd see the huts in this movie, but I really want to know what I've been wanting to know for years. What it was that Han did that was so bad. I, you know what? Give us a Han Solo trilogy, man, or give us an under underworld trilogy. If you're gonna do Boba Fett, connect it. They must be connecting it to this. They must be like. We'll get to the real spoiler at the end, but I'll, I'll continue on about that later. I'd love to try the galaxy. It's just all these random thoughts I had during this movie. I'd love to try the galaxy's food. There was that cool food that Dryden Voss asked him if there was some clawfish or some shit like that. I don't know what planet it was from. It was just a clawfish of some sort. But it was still pretty cool. Um, I love that there's a Rodian in the Rebels. There's a, there was a Rodian. We haven't seen very many of the original trilogy uh, aliens. Um, in this new Disney Disney age of Star Wars, we haven't seen very many of those OT aliens. I don't think there's even oh, there probably was Rodians in the prequels. That was Lucas's stuff. But yeah, there was yeah, there wasn't really very many um, many. Anyway, that, that just was a little bit of a fanboy thing in me. I like the Death Watch outfit in the back of Dryden Voss's ship, which means he's had some sort of connection to the Death Watch. We all know the Death Watch, in, if you watch the Clone Wars, we all know the Death Watch in Clone Wars has a background um, in the criminal world, underworld, um, which probably means that Dryden Voss is somehow connected to Boba Fett. Bam. And I reckon Boba Fett did the job with Han Solo and Chewie that caused Han Solo and Chewie to have a thing on a price on their head by the time they get to A New Hope. Ben, that'd be cool. Um, now, this is the cat. This this is what I've been talking mean talked about. Maul's cameo. I want to say a lot of a lot of people are a little bit divided on this from what I've heard, but I want to say it's fucking awesome. I sat there in the movie the first time, like oh oh my god, whoa, who is that? Whoa, what? And I saw his face. And was holy shit, it's Darth Maul. What the fuck? Now. I thought we were done with Darth Maul as of Rebels. Spoilers, Obi-Wan. Spoilers alert. If you haven't watched Rebels yet, skip over about 10 minutes of this. No, no, no. Skip over about five minutes of this because I'm not going to spend very much time talking about it. But I thought we'd ha- we were done with Maul because Obi-Wan kills Darth Maul. I thought the arc was done. Um, I thought that probably... Uh, they'd done the Clone Wars and then it came back around in Rebels. He kills him, it's done. But apparently, I keep hearing Obi-Wan Kenobi has been rumoured. No, it has been confirmed. The Kenobi movie has been confirmed. The Boba Fett movie has been confirmed or rumoured. I'm not sure. One of the two. Which means that they're probably setting up for Kenobi. And if you've heard any reviews, you've probably heard that they're probably setting up for Kenobi, for a Kenobi movie. Um, with more, but they're also setting up an underworld, which means that Tatooine, that doesn't mean that Alden Aaron, that Solo and Chewie can't be on Tatooine. It doesn't mean that, like, how does, I know they meet Chewie in the cantina on Mos Eisley in A New Hope, but that doesn't mean Obi-Wan doesn't already know him. I have a funny feeling that Obi-Wan has a relationship. And you can, it's, it's so ambiguous, you can build a relationship. He's on Tatooine, 
The Huts are on Tatooine. Boba Fett has been on Tatooine. Let's build an underworld movie. Let's connect all three. Let's make this the trilogy of the pre-OT trilogy and build it from there. That's what I would do. That's what fans hope they do. Why not? Let Lawrence Kasdan write the other two movies. Why not? Who says we can't do that? Who says that, you know, it's Disney. They've got the money for it. Let's do it. I love Darth... You know, there's been a lot of people that were like, I thought Darth Maul died. That's because they don't watch The Clone Wars. But one thing with Rogue One that upset me was that the Rebels were mentioned. They mentioned one of the generals. They had the ship, the ghost, in the background of a couple of scenes, which was very hard to see unless you went looking for it. And they had Chopper, the droid. And he pops up in the back and that's it. But what I wanted to see was in that scene in Rogue One where all the rebels are standing around and they're talking to Jyn Erso, why would you not just cast Freddie Prince Jr. and the rest of the cast, just costume them the fuck up, and for two seconds just cut, they were cutting to and from people in that scene, just do us a favor and cut to the rebels. Cut to the rebels from Star Wars Rebels. Just for two seconds. Because we've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours as fans of the EU, as fans of these animated shows, as fans of just Star Wars in general, spent especially with these TV shows, hours and hours and hours and hours with these characters. Why can't we get some sort of payoff? How come because of the the giant... Where the... Like, I know there's a lot of... I don't know casual fans, but there's fans of just the movies. And... Being a deep cut Star Wars, why can't everyone get that? And then we get more. And that's when I was like, fuck yes, we got it. And a lot of people said, well, unless you watch the the animated series, that's fine. That's fine. I understand that. I completely understand that. Because for a lot of people, like, for instance, if I took my mom to this, she'd be like, wait a second. She, she's a Star Wars fan, but she'd be like, wait a second. What the fuck? Didn't Darth Maul get his legs chopped off and he died in Phantom Menace? That's what my friend said. But the thing is... In Clone Wars, he comes back. And there's a lot of us that watch Clone Wars. And this is really interesting. I th- thought this was a great cameo. And that's just that's just my thought process on all of this. Because we have, I think, Star Wars fans Star Wars fans. So all of us kind of need to, all kind of levels and, and tiers of Star Wars fans kind of need to be catered to. And I don't necessarily mean, know that they have catered to those with the newest Disney stuff. There's been a lot of, late, like Rogue One and, and Force Awakens were quite... Um, easy, I don't know about easy, but safe movies, that's for sure. So they took a risk with Last Jedi, it didn't pay off, and this one is also a bit of a risk with the Darth Maul um, and, and taking on Han Solo's origins and taking away a bit of the mystery of Han Solo. Um, so on to, where were we? I was at the Maul cameo, uh, set up for Kenobi. I'm almost done. Um, Han, I love that Han shoots first and kills Tobias Beckett. Fucking awesome. Um, makes just such a great great scene um the third act was nowhere near as fun and exciting as the first and second i completely i i completely felt this that the the train run the the car chase the i love i love with lady proxima where he's like i've got a thermal detonator and he throws the rocket burns the vampire lady vampire vampire slug um you know and you get the kessel run in the second act you get the droid rebellion you get Han and Chewie and everyone's shooting shit up and they're getting all the coaxium and you get like that's all the real moments for me whereas you only really get the the fight scene in Tobias Beckett's not sorry you know Tobias Beckett 
I think it's I wrote here it ends anticlimactically on the you should join the rebellion kind of thing it's kind of like this is where we're moving we're trying to build the rebellion like we're trying to show you where the rebellion I don't, I don't know it's just kind of weird um, but yeah I just didn't really feel the fight scene like the there was a sword fight, but there was also like the, you know, he just had the gun and stuff. But I do like that he shoots Tobias Beckett first, which Han shot first. We all know he did. Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever come across anyone who thought that Greedo shot first, except to just be controversial. Um, but yeah, it does end climactically. It ends with Han finally winning the Falcon, though. Um, uh, da, da, da. Yeah, so I don't really have much to say about the ending. The ending was the ending for a reason, and it just is. And he kills Beckett and all that kind of thing. Um, it ends with Han finally winning the Falcon fair and square. I love that he steals the card from the click click thing, the cheaty thing from Lando. Um, and Han actually has the vest on um, at the end. And the question is, so at the end of the movie, when he's at the card game, he's got the vest on. He's got the black vest, but he's still got the the denim blue, uh, sorry, the, the navy blue shirt from the rest of the movie. But he's got the vest on. You don't actually know. I don't know if you noticed that. And Lando has a costume change as well. Um, but the, the interesting thing about this is the question, I guess it begs the question, and it's probably just this ridiculous fanboy question, was the vest that Han wears in A New Hope and then subsequently Lando wears that a lot of people got shitty about in Empire Strikes Back. Was that, in fact, Lando's vest the whole time? Was that already in the Falcon? Did that already exist within the Falcon? Because where did he get it from? Because we all know that Kira wore another costume, changed costumes again in the Kessel run, in the Kessel scene, and she was wearing Lando's clothes. Anyway, um, just something to pitch to all you wonderful fanboys and fangirls. Um, and obviously, the end of the movie leads us to one of the fa- one of the best moments in this movie, and that is a moment we've seen a million times. And that's where they belong. This is home. They literally live in home. He says it in The Force Awakens. Chewie, we're home. In the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon together. Again. Yet again. We didn't We didn't think we'd see it ever again. And then we saw it in Force Awakens. Now we've seen it again in Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, are they headed to see Jabba? Perhaps. Perhaps they're going to do that job. Because Tobias Becker was on his way there. And then betrayed them and then got shot first. He shot first. And <laughs> shot first. Um, and ended up dead. So maybe they've gone to do the job for Jabba. Um, and like I said before, will that be what the Boba Fett movie is about? Or will that be what the Kenobi movie is about? Do you reckon maybe Kenobi gets caught up in it somehow? I think that would be cool. Because we all know he didn't leave Tatooine. But you can't do a Kenobi movie. There's rumors that they're doing an Anakin, young Anakin and young Obi-Wan movie. I think if they've got a good story, that'd be cool. But I think they're better off doing that in New Hope because now that they've... I think Han could be a part... I think Obi-Wan could be a part of the job that they did for Jabba or he could be caught up in it somehow. I think there's definitely a way to write it. 
Um, but I'm excited for a Boba Fett movie. I think a lot of people got really weird about why do we need a Boba Fett movie? Like Attack of the Clones was kind of a Boba Fett movie. A lot of people didn't like that Boba Fett was kind of given an origin story in that. But I, I love Boba Fett regardless. I think he's a great character. I think Jango Fett was compelling as well. Um, and yeah, I think I just I give me more Star Wars. I'm just happy to see more Star Wars. Seriously though, guys. If you haven't seen it and if you watched this whole review, well then, you've seen it. But it doesn't mean you've seen it. You've just seen me talking about it the whole time. But please, do yourself a favor. Do the box office a favor. And I don't normally care about the box office, but it's kind of sad that the box office has fallen apart. And I'll talk about this on another episode. But go and see Han Solo. Go and see Solo, A Star Wars Story, for the fun of it. It is a fun movie. Please don't wait until it's on DVD or iTunes or Netflix or Blu-ray or wherever you watch your movies. Please go and see Han Solo, A Star Wars Story. It is wonderful. It is fantastic. And thank you so much for watching my solo Han Solo cast. I'm going to call it, yeah, I'm going to call it the Han Solo cast this week. Um... I couldn't. I had to do a Han Solo review. I had. I, I love this movie so much. One day I might even end up doing a Making Lemonade, Star Wars edition. But please go and see it. And of course, guys, like every week, stay weird. And may the force be with you. Always. Hey everybody, how's it going? One last thing before I leave you, just some quick plugs. If you like this podcast, if you've been listening to all these other episodes, um, please give us a rating and a review on iTunes because your reviews is what keeps us going um, and what keeps us keeps me rising and, and the podcast rising to the top of the pops. Um, Also, I will be at Supernova Sydney this weekend um, from Friday till Saturday. So if you'd like to come over, come and get some art prints. Come and meet me. Come and say hello. If you listen to the podcast, come and say hello and let me know. Um, Don't forget your reviews. Make sure your reviews are good reviews. That would be nice. That would be very kind of you to leave nice ratings and nice reviews. Let me know on all the other social medias as well. I am Jordan Morpeth Art on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube.
Thanks, guys. Stay weed.